Give God praise for Jesus Christ, for the gentleness of Jesus Christ, for the approachability of Jesus Christ. It is because He is approachable that we are here today. We, we can not only approach Jesus, but through Jesus we access God Himself, for Jesus is one with the Father. He is the way. He is the one by whom we are saved. He is the one by whom we have access to the throne of God's grace. And so uh, we stand in that confidence this morning. Locate in your Bibles 1 Peter chapter 3. And in just a moment, I'm going to read from verse 8, but particularly going to focus on verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter, towards the end of your New Testaments, chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous." And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy." always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have revealed to us Your will perfectly in Scripture. We thank You that it is profitable. We thank You that it is uh, something that it irons out those rough places in our lives. It chips away at the aspects of us that do not look like Jesus. So that as we commit ourselves to learning about You and learning about Your will for us from Your Word, we are continually remade in the image and likeness of Christ. And we are encouraged. We are encouraged to endurance. We are encouraged to patience. We are encouraged to trust We ask, Lord, that as we 
are gathered around your word now in this moment, that you would help us to focus, help us not to be distracted from within or without. There may be legitimate things that could distract us, but we pray that we would not find them distracting. Such would be the urgency with which we are are seeking to hear you and your word. We ask, Lord, that you would accomplish your work according to your power, that you would fill us with faith, hope, and love, and that you would um, continue to equip us and gift us by your Holy Spirit. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. And I hope that by now we have more or less memorized what I go through every week at this point. Uh, We are not commanded to bear fruit. We are commanded to abide in Christ. We are promised that as we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit. Thus, the question for those who are not bearing fruit, are you abiding in Christ? And the question for for those who um, are bearing fruit, from where does your fruit come? It comes from Christ. It is not of your power. It is not of my power. It is all of His. So at the end of the day, He gets the glory and the honor. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul tells us what that fruit looks like. And in that list of things that comprise the fruit of the Holy Spirit, he says that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is gentleness. That's one of the aspects that comprises the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is an essential quality of the Christ-abiding life. But again, I am not telling you you must be gentle and so be Christ-abiding. Rather, I am calling you to be Christ-abiding and thereby be gentle. If you're abiding in Christ, you will spend some time up close and personal with the one about whom we just sang. Gentle and lowly, patient and kind, ever approachable Savior of mine. Jesus is gentle. What is gentleness? Gentleness is the positive moral quality of dealing with people in a kind and compassionate manner with humility and consideration. That is gentleness. It is really what we might say uh, is the outflow of verse 8 in our text this morning. When you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, you comport yourself with gentleness. Gentleness involves a lack of self-pride. It's not about you. However unpleasant or uncomfortable or awkward the situation may be, your priority is caring for someone else. It is not only lack of self-pride and thus attached to that self-righteousness and attached to that um, um, judgmentalism and various things that we can fall into, but it is lack of self-pride to the point of a lack of self-concern. 
I'm not worried about me in this moment. I'm more worried about the person in front of me. And I'm concerned for them. And I care for them. And I want their growth, their development, their good. I want them to be whole in Jesus. And I'm wondering how I can be an instrument in the Savior's hands to accomplish that. Not a blunt instrument with which to batter them, but a precise instrument with which to get at the, the real issues of the heart. That's gentleness. It thinks more highly of others, indeed to the point of selflessness and putting others first, even when it hurts. Because the one who is hurting and, and self-absorbed and self-interested and they are fronting their priorities and their plans, they lash out. Or they seize control and they seek to force or to coerce things. But that is not the way of gentleness. Gentleness submits itself to momentary discomfort and pain in the pursuit of a greater objective. It consists of a gracious spirit and demeanor. High tolerance, reasonableness, fairness, and yes, kindness. We talked about kindness a few weeks ago, uh, but kindness and gentleness are different. They are distinct. While they are distinct, they are nonetheless inseparable. A kind person will be gentle, and a gentle person will be kind. They are, they are so attached that oftentimes we do miss the, the nuances, and we get them confused, and we use them interchangeably. Gentleness, I must be clear, is for all of us. It's for all of you this morning. We know that if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, as those who are abiding in Jesus Christ, we will bear the fruit of gentleness. But even as we know we will bear the fruit of gentleness, we, we must respond to, as those who are so equipped, the command to be gentle. We may have the fruit, but are, are, are we displaying it? And sometimes there are people that in, um, uh, we might speak sometimes of their more sanctified moments. We know that they're gentle. We know that they're kind. We know at least that they have the, the capacity to be gentle because they, they do trust in Jesus sincerely and they do love Him and they do love His Word and they do long for uh, the holiness and the, the purity of, of, of God's people and they do want themselves to be right with the, the Lord and not only right with the Lord in Christ but walking in the paths of righteousness. But all of us at some level have failed in this area. If we make it a law we fall far short. But if we see that it is fruit of the Christ-abiding life, we see that it is something obtainable in Jesus. Verse 8 says, Finally, all of you, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts, and humble minds. So this is not just for some. We sometimes speak, do we not, of those who have a gentle disposition. And I suppose what we mean by that is there are some for whom gentleness may come more naturally, but because all of us in our nature are sinners, rest assured there is some other area in which something does not come naturally. It all balances out. 
But there are others for whom they, they might have a disposition either through uh, uh, nature or nurture that is less than gentle. And they might feel they have to work at it a little more. We are to be gentle. All of us are to pursue these things that he speaks of in the passage. Why would I say, lingering on this thing of all of you must be gentle, um, that it is for you and it is for today? Is there any question about that? Well, there is actually. You see, uh, some believe that these are not days for gentleness. These times call for any of gentleness's antonyms. Now, for those of you who have forgotten or do not know what an antonym is, let's go back to grammar. An antonym, it's a good word to know. It's not unnecessarily used, I don't think. An antonym is the opposite of the word in question. A synonym of gentleness might sometimes be kindness, right? An antonym is something that is the opposite. So the antonyms of gentleness, harshness, hardness, severity, stringency, inflexibility, rigidity. And so some say that gentleness is too weak for our cultural moment. Uh, an interreligious ecumenical journal called First Things published a widely circulated article last year, which was, uh, had some good things to say, don't get me wrong, but it was critiquing an approach to evangelistic ministry characterized by, by what is at least an aspect of gentleness, what, what some have referred to as winsomeness. I prefer to keep things using the scriptural language and speak of gentleness. The idea that they described um, is that the gospel is offensive enough without us making it more so with our unhelpful additions, intrusions, and unnecessary distractions from our personalities, cultures, and politics. I've had to tell people before when they're doing evangelism, that person was not offended by the gospel. They were offended by you and your attitude. It was immediately combative and off-putting. There was no conversation that was, there was not even room for conversation there. Um, so, so the idea, I believe, is important for this approach to evangelism. The gospel is offensive enough without us being offensive in ourselves and our, our own sinfulness. That sounds fair enough to me, but the article claims that this, quote, evangelistic desire can obscure what our political moment requires. The author writes that it is perfectly suited for the neutral world to be winsome in this way, but the negative world is a different place. Friends, let me encourage you that if ever there was a negative world, it was the world in which Peter wrote. This letter was likely written not long before the great fire of Rome, which was blamed on Christians and led to intense physical persecution in that city. At this point, as indicated throughout the letter of 1 Peter, there was a general culture of negativity and a hostile environment towards Christians. They were regularly, skeptically quizzed about their faith. They had various charges brought against them. They generally faced verbal abuse. And yes, uh, 
along with that discrimination and increasing marginalization in society. This was even with regard to their refusal to participate in what we might call voluntary activities. So, for example, drinking parties and orgies. One would think that um, you can decline an invite to such a thing. But we are told in 1 Peter itself that they maligned those who would not join them in these activities. For not conforming to the cultural norms or social expectations of that day with regard to sex and sexuality, drugs and alcohol consumption, they were written off not simply as boring, but they were singled out for suspicion and slander and even active persecution in other ways. Some, as implied in chapter 2, were beaten and suffered otherwise physically for being different in how they believed and behaved. And not different in how they believed and behaved in that they, they believed terrible things. Rather, they believed the good news of Jesus. Not that they behaved in, in what we might, um, in a society that has retained something of its, its um, uh, Christian influences, what we might say bad behavior. Rather, they were committed to very good behavior. And so their society not only mocked them, not only pushed them away, but really kicked them out and trampled upon them. Peter even prophesies that they're about to endure worse suffering. A, a fiery trial is coming upon them. So the encouragement he has in the passage that we just read to gentleness is in a context that was even more disagreeable than our own. It's a timeless quality of the Christ-abiding life. No, you will not always feel naturally like being gentle. There are things that will rightly get under your skin. There are things that you should be offended by, things that you should be angry with. Absolutely. There is... A world, and we have preached consistently against these things, a world of injustice, of immorality, and of idolatry that infuriates the Lord God, and it should infuriate His people. But we must remember to be gentle. We must pursue gentleness, even as gentleness grows in the soil of the Christ-abiding life. Already I've raised something that we might call the problem of gentleness. Think, think for a moment with me about the problem of gentleness. The problem is not with gentleness, but rather with how we understand it. Perhaps this is why some disparage gentleness. Why some Christians speak in surprisingly negative terms about something that the Scriptures identify as of the Holy Spirit. They have reached certain conclusions that are not true of the actual character of gentleness. Let's look at the passage. Gentleness does not mean you lack zeal. Read verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? 
It does not mean you, you, you lack zeal, you lack passion, you lack, lack enthusiasm or drive or earnestness or urgency. Your zeal must be for what is good, but gentleness does not mean, here are some words that people think it means. It does not mean passive. It does not mean mellow. It does not mean lazy or disinterested or emotionally detached or disengaged or I have no strong feelings about this really. It does not mean you refuse to take a side. It it, it does not mean that you refuse to create a side when there's not one that's acceptable in this world. Gentleness is not about lacking in zeal. The Scripture says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? It is a good thing, and indeed we might say a gentle thing, to be zealous for what is good. Furthermore, we should say that gentleness does not mean everyone will like you and no harm will come to you. That that is actually a misconception that those who like gentleness, have kind of brought upon themselves because sometimes the way people talk about gentleness and promote gentleness implies or insinuates that by being gentle, everyone's going to like you. You're going to get along with everyone and gentleness is just going to to win everyone to, to you. And because you're a Christian, you're not as concerned about winning people to you. You want them to come to Jesus. And so if you're gentle and kind, everyone's going to say, oh, wow, this is a really gentle person. Um, they're, they're just so, so gentle, and I really want to know what makes them gentle, and you get to tell them about Jesus, and they're like, oh, wow, I want to trust in Jesus. And it's that simple. Gentleness, that, that's not how it works. Read, read over the passage again. Really, you could start from, from verse 8, especially looking at verse 9. There is evil that you could, if you were not gentle, repay with evil. Do you understand that? When he says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. He's saying there is evil and there is reviling that if you were not gentle, you could, humanly speaking, justifiably respond with evil or reviling. In other words, gentleness doesn't mean that everyone's going to like you. You can be perfectly pleasant. And sometimes that's when it's most distracting, destructive, painful. That's really when you have to be watchful. You've been gentle to someone. You've been kind. And someone just rudely responds to you. I have a friend who is um, working in a shop at the moment. And he uh, spoke this week about how he had, uh, he's in a wealthy area and working in a nice shop. And there was someone who, um, uh, he said he regularly gets treated as though he's subhuman. But this person walked into the shop and they're looking around for the customer services and they walk up and um, he, he says, um, hi, my, my, um, uh, my name is this. How can I help you today? And they, they, they stand at the counter and they just curtly, very sharply say their last name because they had a delivery waiting for them. I have a delivery waiting for me. Surname. Oh, let me help you with that. 
But after a while, it becomes like the, the old Japanese water torture, the drip drip of just gruff rudeness and very ungentle behavior that people um, uh, uh, assault you with. And you're being kind, you're being gentle, but when you're gentle and someone hits you with that, it's the easiest thing to cut back very suddenly. There's some of us who could go from zero to 100 pretty easily in that moment. It could be a, a passive-aggressive sort of hand gesture, a look of righteous indignation and sort of a, a shaking of the jowls so that... Oh, there's no Okay, there's no need to speak to me that way. And suddenly we become um, in a, a really unpleasant situation that could develop worse and it could actually ultimately not cause them any lasting discomfort, but it, it could have longer implications for us. And sadly, that person doesn't necessarily have a witness that they care about, but maybe there's someone that we're talking to in the workplace and eventually our behavior contradicts. They see, even if we feel we're right, our behavior contradicts something that we've shared with them of the good news of Jesus. Do we understand that? The implications of this. It's very, very important that we, we grasp this. You will not be liked by everyone. And if you didn't know that, today was as good a day as any to, to learn that. Re you may suffer, the text implies it, for righteousness sake. There are people you could be afraid of or troubled by. He does not say later in the passage, if you are slandered. He says when you are slandered. And people reviling your good behavior is assumed, not just imagined as a possibility. It's going to happen in some way at some time. And you can, and I've seen it play out with people who are known for their gentleness, maybe known for their over-gentleness, but eventually something happens and no one respects them because... Their beliefs, their values clash so stridently and strikingly with an idolatrous, unjust, and immoral world that's in rebellion against God. So let's not be confused about the nature of gentleness on that front. Also, I want to just mention one more thought about the problem of gentleness and how we understand it. Gentleness does not mean stay silent. He, he actually says, bless those who have made themselves your enemies in verse 9. Later he says, keep your tongue from evil and deceit. But he tells them to seek peace, to pursue it. And so what, if we're keeping our tongue from one thing, what are, we, what are we saying in place of that? Fundamentally, at the heart of the, the, the passage later where he's talking about people coming to you with their questions, we must not be silent about the Lord and Savior whom we have believed. The Holy Lord Jesus Christ, who is, as he says in verse 12, against those who do evil. Someone might say, because they don't understand what the word is or what it's about, that that's not a gentle thing to say. But it, it's... It is said in the right way, in the right place, at the right time. And it's always right 
to say that the Lord is against those who do evil. And He is against the evil that they do. How else will they turn from their evil ways? How else will they leave their evil and find grace in the Lord Jesus Christ and His salvation? Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's yes, the Lord that we speak, and we speak about the one who's against evil, but we, as we speak about the one who does evil, this is probably where it becomes less gentle. Do you notice? He does not simply say He is against those who do evil, but He says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. And I think that's where gentleness comes in, that we're not just known for talking about everything that the Lord is against and how the Lord interacts with unrepentant evil, but there is always that, that not just a clenched fist toward what is evil, but an outstretched hand to those who are evil to come to Him and to find forgiveness in Him, to find righteousness in Him, to turn from their evil way and to know Righteousness in Jesus. To know that He hears us when we pray. And furthermore, as we engage a lost and dying world that is in rebellion against Jesus, to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is within us. Do you have a reason? Then it is good that you share it. In fact, it is gentle to say, I have hope and here is why. So that is the problem of gentleness. Gentleness, to recap, does not mean you like zeal. It does not mean everyone will like you and no harm will come to you. It does not mean stay silent. That is abundantly clear from the verses that we've read. But there's something else you need to see and that is the posture of gentleness. I mentioned an article a bit ago where someone that had some legitimate concerns, they had some points that they were trying to make, but I believe they overstepped making those points when they began to talk about um, uh, our cultural moment requiring a, a harder approach, a harsher approach to how we engage and how we do evangelism and how we uh, reach the society. In responding to that article, one person asked a very good question. Have we become moral relativists about gentleness? Moral relativism is this idea that there's a time for gentleness and there's also a time for not gentleness. And we don't have to be gentle now because the world around us is not gentle. That's a wrong way of thinking like I've sought to do, he lays out his terms. And I'll read them for you. I think he's very clear. Here's a few thoughts to get us started. First, gentleness does not mean and it cannot mean a lack of discernment and an absence of moral conviction. It cannot mean a denial of final judgment or even a refusal to speak hard words of temporal judgment. Gentleness is the sensitivity and willingness to forego power for the sake or benefit of another. Gentleness is a caring, calm humility that allows one to seek others as God to see others as God sees them. In short, gentleness is not about whether we say hard words. It is about how we say hard words. Gentleness is not a refusal to engage 
but it is a posture of engagement. And that posture is given to us in the passage. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. It is a posture that turns from evil and does good. It is a posture that seeks peace and pursues it. It stands in the righteousness of Christ and it practices Christ's righteousness. It pleads with God. For how will He hear our prayers? The prayers of which it says His his ears are open to their prayer if we're not praying. And we're pleading with God for those that are doing evil. We ought to be. That is a fundamentally gentle thing to do. Sometimes the most gentle thing that you can do. And perhaps we'll talk about self-control next time, but perhaps the most self-controlled thing you can do is to just bottle whatever it is that you feel like saying in that moment because it might be unhelpful and it might be ungentle, but to take it to the Lord in prayer. And as you pray, the ears of the Lord are open to your prayer, but He might just open their hearts to your preaching. We're told to, when people ask us for a reason for the hope that is within us, to answer them with gentleness and respect. And respect is is a manifestation of gentleness. The one who is gentle will be respectful. Not dismissive, not demeaning, not, not putting someone down. Rather, Again, standing solid and secure in who you are in Jesus Christ. Thus he says that we ought to do this having a good conscience. So the posture with which you engage people is important. It it does indicate whether you are gentle or not. How are you coming across? If enough people are telling you that you're coming across the wrong way, it might be right to examine how you're coming across and how you can adjust that, submitting that to the Lord. I know our our world tells us to, it contradicts itself so many times, it tells us to be who we are. And so a lot of these things are instilled in us from from childhood that, um, uh, you know, be who you are. And so we then begin to dismiss unsanctified aspects of our life as just my personality. That's just who I am. And you're just going to have to accept me for who I am. Remember, you've probably said it before. The Lord Jesus Christ accepts you just as you are, but He does not keep you as you are. You will not stay as you are. He changes you. And so you can't can't come to Jesus with a bad attitude and keep that bad attitude. You can't come to Jesus with a harsh, oppressive, and abusive spirit and, and keep that. He's got to rid you of that. So we have a couple of things that we need to, to ask. Do you still have that because you're, you're not saved? Are you abiding in Christ? We have to ask, are you abiding in Christ? 
Are you not abiding in Christ and that's why you have the bad attitude? Or is it that you are abiding in Christ and you do have this fruit, but you're not some, in, in, in the moment, not, I'm not talking about the overall position of your life, in the moment you are not walking out the, your, your place in Christ. And all of us have moments where we may be found to be less than gentle. We have to hand it over to the Lord. Not only who you are, but how you are, put it in God's hands. Not only what you say, but how you say it, put it in God's hands. Take it to Christ. Look at how He handles people. Remarkable. I just think about the, the nightmare of this man getting away for a bit of rest. And the people he's running from are there on the, on the shore waiting for him. And it's, it's kind of like... you. He's in a boat in the middle of the water and it's like you could see it. There was like a wave and it wasn't a wave of water. Where is that? What is that? Is that a... Oh no. It's the people from the city. We're just leaving. And they're journeying around the, the sea. And you know, it's, the, it's all slow motion, isn't it? Life often is these things. You're just sort of, sort of slowly easing the boat into the into the shore, and there they are. How do you respond to that? I don't think I would respond very well, to be honest. But Jesus sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. And it says he got out of the boat, and he walked among them, and he talked with them, and he healed them, and he fed them, and he continued to speak to them, and the whole idea of going into the wilderness for a bit of space and a bit of rest was blown to pieces, but he was working with the situation given to him with gentleness. Think about Jesus. When the, in, in those moments when, when you are um, tempted to not be gentle, abiding in Christ means we go back to Christ and we rest in who He was and how He was. And we submit to the overflow of that in our life. Not only do we see the problem of gentleness, the posture of gentleness, there's also something about, the pro about proclamation with gentleness. The question, why would we not proclaim with gentleness? Might, might it be that lack of gentleness is born less out of holy zeal and more out of here, if you're wondering, why do I lack gentleness? Hear me on this very clearly. Lack of gentleness is born less out of holy zeal and more out of insecurity. The text speaks of people not being afraid or troubled. It speaks about them being prepared to talk about their hope and having good consciences around this idea of answering unbelieving people, even hostile people, with gentleness. So I would argue that when we are afraid, we are not gentle. And that, 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 that could be... A fear. We, we don't like to say, oh, I'm afraid. I'm not afraid of anything, says someone who's very afraid of being accused that they're afraid if nothing else. You see what I'm saying? Where I'm coming from. Well, watch out for those things. Uh, 
When we are troubled, we are not gentle. When we are unprepared, we're not gentle. And so we compensate with our lack of preparedness with hostility. When we have guilty consciences, we're not gentle. Because we've got to cover, we, we, we've got to cover ourselves. We don't have a good conscience. And so we're going to deflect and distract and obstruct anything that might expose why we have a bad conscience by being aggressive in some way. Lack of gentleness is a sign of an anxious heart, a troubled soul, an unprepared mind, and a conscience that is guilty because of sin and so harshly defensive. Other things such as a sense of threatened power or damaged pride may be associated as well. Lack of gentleness is the response of people who are under attack and have momentarily, if ever they had it, lost sight of who they are and what they have in Jesus. How do you respond under attack? Are you able to maintain calm? Are you able to maintain a sense of composure? Are you able to, even if you must, as you must in some cases, speak with um, some degree of ferocity, is that born out of a heart that is gentle and is ultimately in service to and defense of gentleness? Do you have blessings with which to bless those who speak evil and revile you? Do you have good to speak? Truth to speak? Do you have a peace-creating, Lord-honoring, life-giving and sustaining message worth sharing? Do you have a Lord who is holy and who is against evildoers, but who is rich in mercy to all who turn from their evil ways to Him? Yes, even us this morning with our lack of gentleness. Do you have answers to people's weightiest questions? The big questions in life, the ultimate questions about meaning and purpose and eternity and God and heaven and hell and how we can be right with God if He exists, and all of these things that people ask and that they're weighed down. Do you have an anchor for your soul? Do you have hope that you can gently communicate to those who are despairing? Do, do you have a hope and a reason to hope that will in turn give someone else a reason to hope? Never mind the... The problem of does what you do back up what you say? Oftentimes that's what people say, isn't it? That's like, oh, the works don't match the message. They don't practice what they preach. But, but let me ask you this. Does what you say back up what you do? Does what you preach back up your walk? Because there are some people who they have a lot to proclaim a lot of good stuff to proclaim, but they don't get it out there. They don't proclaim. They don't tell people. And perhaps it is because they misunderstand gentleness. Or perhaps it is that they, they understand gentleness, but they don't see that 
The proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ is fundamentally the ministry of gentleness to a hurting world. Are you going to people in a sinful world broken by the consequences of its rebellion against God? Are you going into the mess and muck of people's lives saying, Christ also, as Peter says, verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Instead of drowning us in the waters of judgment as He did the world in the days of Noah, which He also goes on to speak about. Rather, He washes us in the water of salvation, giving us a pure conscience. Instead of leaving us with the tragic story of a victim of murderous injustice, He gives us hope in facing a violent and unjust world. Hope that is found in the message that He's risen from the dead and He is high above everything that troubles, everything that afflicts, everything that oppresses and enslaves us. It's all under His authority. And He will finally set us free from these things. Even as He forgives us of our sins and frees us from the fear of these things, now as we hope in Him. Do you see how that is a fundamentally gentle message? to people in distress, then Peter says to be ready. Be ready to make a defense. Be prepared to make a defense. Verse 15 says, as ones who honor Christ in your hearts as holy, be prepared not just to keep it in your heart, but to speak it. What is the reason for the hope that is within you? Well, we, we need to be prepared to talk about that reason. If you need a reminder, or you don't know what that reason is at all, let me tell you where our hope is found. And also let me tell you um, how you can find hope. And indeed, if your problem this morning is, I don't know where gentleness... You know, can, I know I'm not a gentle person. I don't know where I can get gentleness. How I can be made gentle. Remember, I said abide in Christ. We have, we, we have to talk about the person of gentleness. Because I'm not that person. You're not that person. We have to go to somewhere else, to someone else to talk about who is gentle and how we can be made gentle. Paul would write the church in Corinth, I entreat you, I beg of you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Christ is the person of gentleness. Christ Jesus said of Himself, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So if we would be gentle, we must get to Jesus. If we would bear the fruit of gentleness in our life, we need to go and abide in Jesus. Peter, writing about, G about gentleness, may have cast his mind back to the very picture of gentleness. There are so many pictures of gentleness in the life of Christ, but think about this one. 
Back in, in, in the uh, uh, Gospel according to John chapter 13, we are given a scene. Jesus, we're told, knew that He was about to die. He knew that the ones He loved, He was about to love to the end. Because the end was around the corner. The devil, we're told, had persuaded that Judas Iscariot in his heart to betray Jesus. That's all stuff Jesus could, humanly speaking, have been afraid of. Jesus, humanly speaking, could have been threatened by. But Jesus had a hope. And He had reasons for that hope. Indeed, I wonder if we can even speak of Jesus had a hope and He had reasons for that hope when He knew He is the hope. He stood secure in Himself and who He was and what He had and what His mission was. What He was here for. We're told Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into His hands. Jesus knew that He had come from God and was going back to God. So, what did He do? He's about to die. He's about to be betrayed by one of His closest friends. But He knows who He is. And He knows where He is going. So, He started slapping the disciples around. Telling them what was what. Giving them a last piece of His mind. Setting them straight on some matters. The end was near. It was time to drop some truth bombs. That's not what He did. He rose from supper. So, He rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments. He took a towel and He tied it around His waist. He poured water into a basin and He began to wash His disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. Peter writing these words that we've read this morning about gentleness decades later might have recalled his reaction. His own reaction. Do you wash my feet? You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus told him that, no, I must wash your I really must wash your feet. That it's a blessing for me to wash your feet. And Peter is like, oh, well, not my feet only, but my he's a man of extremes. Wash my, wash my hands and my head also. Take the basin and pour it over me. Mm. Jesus' arms are open wide. And to you today, in gentleness, they're there with a basin and a towel, waiting to wash you who are tired, waiting to wash you who are filthy, waiting to wash you who are aching and weary and, 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 and tired from the journey of your life. And they're there waiting, gentle, lowly, patient, kind, ever approachable Savior of mine. He takes our burdens, yes. He also takes our sins. He takes the divisive suspicions and demonic strongholds of our life and He carries them all away. Better still, He carries us and He keeps us. 
He welcomes sinners and outcasts. He patiently bears with us in love. He guides us by His Spirit. Despite all of our waywardness, He still welcomes us. Despite our rebellion. Despite our provocations. When we are faithless, He remains faithful. In gentleness, Jesus thought of us. In gentleness, He placed our need for salvation before the rights and the powers and the privileges of deity. He was God. He could have crushed us. He could have come at us with righteous clenched fists. But His hands were stretched out on the cross. And He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In gentleness, He went to the cross like a lamb, silently going to get fleeced, or worse, to get slain. And He pronounced forgiveness upon His murderers. It is on the basis of this self-sacrifice, this selfless pursuit of others, care and well-being and salvation, that we can be gentle today. You can be gentle because Jesus was gentle. And you rest in Jesus if you're trusting in Him, if indeed you do rest in Him. It is the gentleness of Christ that is the hope of vulnerable Christians and churches facing spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, social, and systemic assault. Our weapons are not of this this world. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. His kingdom is not of this world. He said when He was betrayed later that night, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be fighting. And when one of them tried to... Who was that? Peter, again. with With the sword that he had tucked away. Made a go at some poor man's head. Mercifully sliced just an ear off. But an ear is an ear. Jesus put it back. Rebuked Peter. Rebuked Peter for defending him. Rebuked Peter for physically fighting for for him. Gentleness. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he had. He knew where he was going. So he was gentle. Brothers and sisters, are you secure in Christ? Are you the people of Christ? Do you know that you have Christ and Christ has you and you have the Holy Spirit within you? Do you know where you're going? That it's a place where none of the weapons that are formed against you will prosper at all. They they can't even get to you there. If, if you know whom you have believed, know that He is able. And He can keep you in perfect gentleness as the ones who are trusting in Him. Let's, let's pray. Lord, this morning we confess that we are not always gentle. We confess that perhaps in a cruel, harsh, bitter world that perhaps, just maybe, this might be one of the areas in which we falter the most. It is so easy to be less than gentle. Thank You that You have not here set us 
a, a law to oppress us, but to liberate us in Jesus Christ. As we abide in Him, we bear the fruit of gentleness. We confess that we, we have not yet borne that fruit to a place of ripeness. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to be gentle. And so give honor and glory to You so that when people revile us, when they slander us, that's one less thing they have to accuse us of. We pray, Lord, that if anyone accuses us, that they would accuse us simply because of the offense of the gospel. And then when we look at that, it's not offensive at all. It's good news of salvation for everyone who believes. It's only offensive to those who are perishing. And so we pray, Lord, that that would be the offense. And that would be what is offensive in us. And we do pray, Lord, that we would not, in some misdefined or misguided understanding of gentleness, refrain from proclaiming Christ. Refrain from answering with the reason for the hope that is within us. We, we sometimes fail to communicate that because we, we worry about whether we will be perceived as gentle according to the um, misunderstandings of our society. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to communicate, yes, faithfully in a spirit of gentleness, but to communicate nonetheless that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has risen from the dead. He has all power in His hands. He is coming to judge the world in righteousness. There are some who are evil, who are not finding their righteousness in Jesus Christ, and He is against them. And there are some who have found their righteousness in Christ, and they will be saved. May we be in that number on that day. In Jesus' name, amen.